Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so happy to see you here today. At this time, we're going to get started with some worship. So if you're able and would like to stand, you're more than welcome. Of his 
the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, it is our joy to gather together in community and oneness to worship your holy name, to express our gratitude and praise for all that you do and all that you are. From Psalm 18, we love you, O Lord, our strength. You are our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. You are our rock in whom we take refuge. You are our shield and the horn of our salvation. You are our stronghold. We call on the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and we are saved from our enemies. Oh, to be closer to you, Lord, but we must confess and repent of our sins in order to do so. For me, it underscores, underscores my absolute need for the Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Hear now our silent confession as a nation and personally. Thank you, Lord, that if we confess our sins, you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. May we all become more sensitive to your still, small voice and nudgings, and then be filled with the desire to act upon it trusting that you are placing an opportunity before us to join you in the work that you have prepared for each individual. Be it a kind word to a stranger or leading people across the desert with you. Thank you, Father, that we may freely come to you in prayer with our personal concerns and also to intercede for one another as well as believers around the world who are suffering in difficult circumstances. Father God, hear now our silent prayers. And now we ask that our minds and our hearts will be open to receive today's message. We ask these things in the name of our merciful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Is everybody rested and refreshed from a week without me? I know everybody's probably excited to have a calm week last week. We had a fantastic time up at camp. I took 10 kids up to Julian. We had a wonderful, wonderful trip. So thank you all for everybody that prayed for us, that helped us get there. It was a fantastic time. So thank you so much for that. But with that, I would love to introduce everybody to our fun little bulletin you should have gotten on your way in. This top half, we would hope and love. Fold it in half, tear it off. If I can do it, there we go, and take it home. It's a wonderful little happy Valentine's Day card. I don't know if you're like me, went to the store yesterday, bought stuff for the Super Bowl, completely forgot about Valentine's Day that is tomorrow. So I think I'm going to write something nice on the bottom and hand it to my wife. I'm just kidding. We're going to go to the store. I love you, Haley. You are fantastic and amazing. I'm going to get her something wonderful. But please take this top half home. Maybe let a stranger know. Happy Valentine's Day. Hand them this card. Invite them to church. Let them know we have a wonderful, amazing congregation that we would love to have them be a part of. So please take this top half home. Invite somebody. Let them know that you would love to see them join our congregation. On this bottom half, this is for you. This is how we get connected with you, engaged with you, let you know some of the fun stuff going on here at La Jolla Community Church. This first side says get connected. While I'm talking, I have no problem. Take out a pen. It should be in the seat back right in front of you. Fill out this connect card. Let us know how we can get you engaged and plugged in in some of the awesome ministries going on here at La Jolla Community Church. And then we've got our young adults ministry that's up and running. If you would like to be a part of that, let us know. Fill out this card so that we can get you connected and plugged in in some of the awesome stuff that's going on here at church. On the other side is our prayer card. This is how we know what's going on with our church. This is how we know what's going on in your life. If you've got a prayer that just something difficult that's going on in your life, maybe there's a Joe Burrow you want to throw on that card for later today. Please, please, please take a moment. 
Let us know how you can pray. It could be as small as the Super Bowl. It could be as big as a financial or physical burden on your life. I've seen a couple of people walking around with crutches today. I expect to see lots of prayer cards because my favorite thing to do every single week is to pray over these prayer cards. Individually, we take every single card that gets turned in and we pray individually over every single person that needs prayer. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in coming together to pray for one another. So if you've got a praise report, a prayer request, anything that you need a little, little extra juice in, please, please take a moment, fill that out, and you can take this card along with your offering envelope, which is in the seat back directly in front of you, and you can drop those off in the baskets on your way out, uh, as well as there's a basket in the Welcome Center. Well, again, thank you all so much for joining us on this wonderful Sunday. So, so, so happy to see everybody here. And with that, I'm going to invite pa- or Scott up to lead us in a message. Thank you so much, Scott. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Go Rams. And uh, Kathy, thank you for getting our hearts right with God this morning, especially after the brick of Velveeta cheese I'm going to eat later. Uh, I'm going to need that. Again, I'll have to call you tomorrow. Lead me through prayer. Uh, It's one of the best Sundays in American culture, and easily the best story of the Super Bowl by far is this guy, Eric Weddle. Maybe you've heard this story already. He was in retirement. He was retired. He's a dad of kids. He used to be, uh, he used to play for the <coughs> Chargers, um, but he's retired. He was a good safety defensive back, and what has he been doing in retirement? He's been coaching youth sports, he's been doing yard work, he's been playing pickup basketball, and then he gets a call about a month ago from the Rams. Their two safeties were out for injury, and they pull this guy, 37-year-old Eric Weddle, out of retirement, and they call him and say, can you play? And he said, can you, what do you mean, can I play? And they gave him six hours to decide before they went and found someone else. So he's playing in the Super Bowl. Never made it because of the Chargers. He made it today, and he's going in. So can you imagine, in some ways, that story of Eric Weddle is going to serve as a larger metaphor for what we're going to talk about this morning, being caught up in a story bigger than yourself, almost as though you didn't know that there was a story unfolding that you have a part to play in. That's the story we're going to get into But I have to tell you uh, my Super Bowl story. I went to the Super Bowl. No cheers, no claps. I went to the Super Bowl in 2008. My best friend in the world, he was the guy that we studied abroad together. We did uh, cross-country road trips together. Called me the end of January 2008 and left me a voicemail that changed my life. Scott, this is Nick. Super Bowl tickets. I've got him. Call me. Now, Nick and I had said since we were 14, at some point in our lifetimes, we have to go to the major sporting events. And we made a list. I mean, the Olympics, World Cup, the Masters, like we just made a long, Wimbledon, we made this list. The pinnacle, the most expensive one would be the Super Bowl. And here we are, young in this long list, and he says we've got Super Bowl tickets. And he's got, he's got connections, he's got kind of a wealthy family, and at, 20, at, at 2008, I was broke as a joke. Couldn't have been more broke with a toddler at home, a wife who was pregnant, raising support to do ministry, just completely broke. So I interpreted that voicemail as, man, that's going to be like five or $6,000 that I do not have. I turned to my wife, and she is always gung-ho for whatever thing, whatever scheme I come up with. I turned to her and said, I can't, I mean, I can't believe it. This is just, we're just too young for this. So I go, it's too early, Nick. And, and she says, well, you have to go. I said, honey, you have no idea. You have no idea what that's going to cost just to get to the game. I can't even imagine to go there, to travel, to stay. It's, it's a no-go. 
And so I called him back, left him a voicemail, like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. I, I can't believe you got tickets. I, I cannot go. We, I cannot make it happen. He calls me back. I'm in a meeting, leaves me a message. He goes, no, no, you didn't understand. Two tickets, all expenses paid to the Super Bowl. You're going. We're going. So we went. Uh, the next day, I met him. It was uh, Thursday, and the entire weekend of the Super Bowl, there's a, there's a village, there's concerts, there's food, there's just everything you can imagine for multiple days. We f- drove out to Phoenix, and uh, as we're pulling in, literally, as we're pulling into the parking lot of the hotel, I said, how did we get tickets anyways? And he said, oh, that's the thing. The tickets were actually given to my dad. His dad was the CEO of a big uh, high-end appliance company. And he said, my dad was given the tickets. He doesn't even want to go. He was trying to pass it off to everybody in the company. No one can make it. And so he finally called me and said, if you want the t- tickets, you can have them. But you have to represent the company while you're there. Because the tickets were corporate gifts. And we were there, and in the, in the Super Bowl village was this residential real estate development happening where the appliance company was a part of this major development. And we were there to represent the company. <laughs> and so I was like, you're kidding. And Nick's like, no. And I told my dad, this is very uncomfortable, but he wants us to represent who they are and what they are into. And I was like, dude, we can't. And he said, I know, we just have to fake it because we don't have the tickets in hand yet. It's Thursday night. Friday morning, we meet the guys and we do a tour of the residential real estate development. And I mean, literally, I'm wearing like t-shirts and jeans because I'm going to the Super Bowl. And uh, Nick's got like a a sport coat on because he prepared, didn't tell me anything. And we walk in and we're walking through. There's probably 15 people in there representing different companies and the different vendors. And the hosts are asking us about supply chain. (laughs) Thankfully, my buddy Nick is an attorney. And it just fresh out of law school, like the ink hadn't dried. And so he's speaking in legal speak, enough that we got through the first morning. Like somehow I just kept going like, wow, and oh my gosh, oh, this is amazing. And my trick was ask a bunch of questions. Just ask a bunch of questions, fill in details by making them tell us what's going on. So uh, Friday day, Friday night, we go to this like VIP party, and they tell us we have, uh, we have reservations at the most exclusive five-star restaurant, only Michelin-star-rated restaurant in Scottsdale, 8 p.m., meet us there. And at this point, it's like, this is getting a little out of hand. They're starting to ask us more and more questions. Nick's calling his dad at that point and said, Dad, you've got to tell us more about what's going on. We don't know anything. I mean, I'm like, yeah, how many butanes are in that oven? I mean, I'd, we're barely hanging on, and we still don't have the tickets, and we feel like this is gonna, the jig is going to be up at some point. So we're at dinner in this private room, in the most exclusive, let me tell you the, the details as we walk in. We're being escorted to the back of the restaurant to this private room, and we pass by a table. Uh, there's three people at a table next to the door to the kitchen. You know, like the worst table of the restaurant. And who's sitting there? Peyton Manning and his mom and his wife. And we, and we give the, like, the head nod to Peyton. He's like, hey. And then we're sitting down. I don't know if I've ever been that more nervous in my life. We are being wined and dined for this big deal, and it's a three-hour dinner. I don't think, I, no, no exaggeration, it was probably a $1,500 per plate meal, all to put this deal together. And I'm still asking questions. I'm just trying to hang on, and finally, uh, the wife of a CEO of another company who's there, appropriately so, leans over to me, and she goes, 
you guys don't really work in the company, do you? <laughs> and I, I was like, and? <laughs> and she's like, don't worry, your secret's safe with me. So one of the best moments, he and I would still say it. I mean, we've been married, we've both had children, like those are good moments. But one of the best moments was being handed the tickets at the gate where we finally get to go in. And as we're walking, I don't say this to brag, but there's a point to all this. As we're walking in to find our seats and walking as we go in on the kind of floor level and the field is down below, we keep walking down the stairs with these tickets trying to find out what row we're in. And that was the best moment of our lives because it was down low in the end zone. One of the best games, too, if you remember, it's Patriots versus Giants. The helmet catch was right in front of us. We're chest-bumping strangers. I mean, it was just phenomenal. But at the same time, we look back in that story with a ton of anxiety still because it's actually a terrible feeling to be in the wrong story. It is a terrible feeling. It's a terrible experience to feel like you're an imposter or to feel like there's something happening and I'm not a part of it and I wish I could be. And I have to say, that's probably the experience deep down that many of us have when it comes to faith. That there's some story unfolding and I'm not really a part of it or the script that I got doesn't seem to be on the front lines. It just seems to be I'm just a background character. And what we're doing and what Steve's been leading you through in this series is a way to look at the story in this story of the Bible, God's story, and to learn to read these stories through the lens of our own story and start weaving those things together and using these stories as a mirror to our own. So this morning, we're going to look at King David. That's what Steve's like. You're, I'm like, what am I preaching on? He's like, King David. I'm like, that's it? That's all? He's mentioned 1,100 times in the Bible. Like, which time? He goes, I don't know. You pick. Uh, he's one of the key, most central figures in the entire book. 3,000 years ago, he was alive. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a poet. He was a musician. He was a king. He was a warrior. He killed lions and bears and giants. And yet, his life and his story actually relates to mine and to yours. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. But first, as we do that, as I read a story with you, let me pray. God, thank you. Uh, thank you that we could participate in a story, uh, a story that is not finished, a story that's still unfolding, and that you give each one of us uh, a crucial integral part. But most of the time, we don't see that. We don't understand that. And I pray that you would help us this morning to not only understand uh, King David's story, but to see how you're inviting us still to play a part, a key part, uh, an exciting part in your unfolding story. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you want to follow along, this comes from 1 Samuel 16. And uh, to give just a little bit of context, the story we're going to look at is where David, as a young lad, is picked to be the future king. And uh, right beforehand, like kind of the history, and, and you might have already known this, but it's helpful to get a refresher. Uh, Israel has been picked by God to be his chosen people, to uniquely have a relationship with God and demonstrate to the world what God is like. And they're given a mission early on. If you go like really early on in the early pages, like your mission is to participate in what God is doing in this world, to restore everything to the way he wants to return all of God's people, all of God's creation to the way God wants it to be. 
And as a part of that mission, they were going to have a unique, special relationship with God. And yet, the people, so God gave them that agreement, gave them that promise and commitment, but the agreement with the people was, you have to then obey me. You have to then be the ones who represent it. And the people kept failing over and over and over and over again. Just kept failing. Kept forgetting their part of the bargain. And at some point, right before this particular story, the people had said, we are really kind of tired of trying to follow this God that we don't even know. We don't, we're not even really allowed to say his name. And we look around at all these other nations, all these other people, they all have a key leader. They have kings. We want a king. And the people, the Israelites, kept begging the leaders, the current kind of officials and government officials and religious leaders, they kept kind of complaining, we want a king. And God had kept warning, like, no, you don't. You think you do, but you don't. And God would say, look around, look at the other kings, look how poorly that goes. And God kept urging them, just remember the original agreement, trust me, it'll work if you do your part. And at some point, God essentially relents. That's what the Bible says. He just says, fine, you can have a king. And he gave them this guy named Saul, which is the current king in the story that we find. Saul was not a good dude. It didn't go well, just like God had promised. And yet the people kept asking for a king. So here's what it says. Now the Lord said to, said to Samuel, and Samuel is the key religious representative of God. He's the guy that hears from God on behalf of God to the people and delivers messages. God says to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. You've been praying for Saul. You've been praying that his heart would turn and he would turn into a good leader. You've been mourning long enough for Saul. But I've rejected him as the king of Israel. So I want you to fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. You don't think of filling a flask with olive oil, <laughs> but you might try that next time you're pulled over. It's olive oil, sir. I'm on my way to anoint someone. Uh, uh, fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, remember that, that town? We tend to sing about it around Christmas time. It's where Jesus was born. There's a lot of imagery that we won't get into, but go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I've selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel said, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Saul was still in charge. Uh, take a heifer with you. Take a, a small cow, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which one of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the leaders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they said, do you come in peace? It typically wasn't a good thing when the spokesman for the Lord came to your town, they were worried that they had done something wrong. Uh, yes, uh, Samuel replied, I've come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse, helping them wash and bathe and get ready to be presentable to God. That, and, uh, for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. Now Samuel knows the mission ahead of time. Find Jesse, go to the town, find Jesse. He's going to have a bunch of sons. And when you get there, I'll tell you which one of these sons is the next king, is the one, the special one, the chosen one. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at this particular son and thought to himself, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now, in, uh, in, in their culture, if you had a, a bunch of sons, that was a really good thing. But if you had a bunch of sons, there was one particular son 
that of every single family, no matter what tribe, no matter what color, no matter what neighborhood, there was one son that was special. Can you guess who? Some of you know this from your own families. The eldest son. That is the chosen son. That is the son that is going to inherit everything. That is the son whose name shall be passed on through him. He is the chosen one. How many of you have an older brother? Anybody? Have an older brother? You know that, and you make fun of them. Oh, the special chosen one. Uh, I'm the younger brother, and I know that it's actually the youngest boy that is special. So Samuel goes, sees Jesse with a bunch of sons. He's got a whole troop of them. And he looks at this son named Eliab and and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Number one, he's the eldest son. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And if you were to maybe meditate on this scripture, read it again a couple times throughout this week. That could be a verse that you particularly focus on. Don't judge by appearance or height. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Then Jesse told his son, this is Jesse the father, so it's not Eliab, the Lord said that to Samuel. So Jesse brings the next son, I'm going to try to say this, Abinadab, how's that? (laughs) Abinadab, poor kid, uh, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah, but Samuel said, nope, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these Uh, Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? So here's the sons. Samuel's given a a mission. Go here, pick one. And every time the Lord's like, nope, that's not it. It's not him. Uh, And then Jesse replies, I I would imagine some confusion because again, who's special? The oldest. And if you're not going to go with the oldest, maybe the biggest, maybe the strongest, maybe the most handsome, maybe the most eloquent, maybe the most gifted or talented, the most able uh, the one who, who uh, cries the least? I don't know. Like, pick one of these sons. And Jesse says, well, there's still the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. He's taking out the trash. He's the son, not only the youngest, but he's the son you give all the crap jobs to, quite frankly. He's the one we overlooked. He wasn't even invited to the party. To one of, if not the, the second most important person in the country is in the town, and they didn't even think to get him dressed. Just let him stay out there with the farm animals. Well, Samuel says, we'll send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil He brought out and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So, uh, a few reflections in light of this story. How do we find our story in this story? One key part, I love it, is when it says, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And when was that as a key moment? When? It was after there was a response, after Samuel did something. Now, a lot of times, I th- and I could speak for myself, 
a lot of times I'm going through life and it doesn't feel like I've been picked, right? It doesn't feel like I've been chosen. It feels like, in fact, the opposite. I see uh, friends of mine that went to college with. And you get those little reports, maybe you get those alumni magazines, and you look to your year, and you see those names, or you see it on Facebook, or you get a Christmas card in the mail, a Christmas letter, and you see these reports of these families. And it's not just the career that they've had. Sure, okay, I've made different choices but you get to see the, the look of their children and the, the holidays that they're having and the vacations and the trips. And then you, as the older they get, you start hearing about the accolades of their children and you start thinking about your kids and what they're doing or not doing. And, and, and there's a sense for all of us, no matter what industry you're in, what neighborhood you're in, no matter where you come from, we all universally have a sense of, I'm just not as special, apparently, I just don't have maybe what it takes. I'm not like Abinadab or Eliab or whatever his name was or her name was or maybe the older brother or older sister. We get this sense over time that we just aren't the ones. And yet God comes through and says, no, you are. See, David's story is a part of our story. The New Testament, as Jesus uh, unravels and unveils and, uh, and rolls out this new phase of what God is up to, starts to communicate to people that there used to be these particularly unique, special anointings, callings, missions for people. These names that you remember from the Old Testament, from uh, back then it was just the Testament, these names, these key historical figures, there's a translation, translation to you. You're now all considered a part of this. In the New Testament, we start hearing things and they start saying these radical, kind of uh, controversial, heretical things. You're all priests now. Wait, wait, wait a second. That's not how it works. You had to be specially in the right family, in the right lineage, in the right heritage, with the right last name to be a priest. How, how, how could you say I'm a priest? They start saying things like, you're a part of God's royal family. No, no, no. I understand royal families. I understand the lineage. That's, that's not my last name. They start saying things like, you're God's ambassador. Well, I understand ambassadors. I'm certainly, in, in the New Testament through Jesus, they start saying, no, you're all chosen. You're picked for the team. You're Eric Weddle in retirement, being picked, being chosen. And not only chosen, because that's the key part of being anointed. It's not just chosen, not just picked, but it's picked for something. It's chosen for something. You aren't just uh, uh, loved and special in God's eyes, you're actually picked to go and do something. And that's the key part. And, and sometimes we sit on one side or the other and we get confused or we forget. Some of us get very busy and think, okay, if I'm going to be good to God and, and, and be pleasing to God and be a good neighbor and be a good citizen, a good American, a good housewife, whatever it is, I'm going to just be busy. I'm going to get to work. And we forget, no, no, we're also very chosen and very loved. I love what uh, pastor writer Tim Keller says the gospel is this. We are worse than we think we are. We're worse than we think we are. So if you, th- you have a high image of yourself, you're wrong. You're worse than you think you are. He, he says we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we e- ever dared believe. And we get glimpses of that sometimes when we just blow it. And you look at yourself out of shame. Like, Gosh, I'm, and Tim's like, nah, you're actually worse than even those moments. But at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. 
our, our minds have a hard time dealing with either of those two. It's hard to imagine how bad we are. It's hard to imagine and fathom how good we're chosen to be. I remember uh, we went to Disneyland years ago when my son, he's now 15, was maybe three or four, and we have really good friends who have a, a daughter the same age, and so we met at Disneyland, and we, uh, we're going to spend a day, and they live in Northern California, great friends from college, and uh, our son brought his uh, special blanket, and uh, their daughter brought her special stuffed animal. And we had known the special stuffed animal, as you get to know, they're all given names. This one was Puppers. And uh, Puppers uh, was uh, Ada's, like, favorite special thing. And some, and you know this as parents, never, ever, ever lose whatever it is. Puppers, Blanky, uh, the, the stuffy, whatever, you don't lose it. And they had apparently warned Ada multiple times, don't bring puppers to Disneyland. This is not a good place to bring puppers. But you, you try to get the three-year-old in the car. You try to get the three-year-old into the stroller. Puppers was with us for the day. Fortunately, that's the one thing Disneyland doesn't charge for. And we were there, and at uh, around two or three in the afternoon, uh, as you can imagine, panic ensued. Puppers was gone. And we don't know where we, I mean, we, we all, we, we spent hours, really. And, and to be honest, it ruined the day. It ruined the day for all of us. We looked back on that as, as like, man, I mean, she was crying and the parents are panicked, but they're also feeling bad that we're now looking for, I mean, it's just that whole thing. And, and there's a big part of us that are like, oh, we got to find puppers. But the other time we're like, we spent how much money? Could we just like <laughs> buy her a new puppers? <laughs> get her a Goofy, get her something. Uh, get her a, what are uh, uh, those uh, pineapple things? The Dole Whips. Get her a Dole Whip, shut her up. Uh, so, the day is done, and they had been to, of course, you go to Lost and Founds, and uh, they had filed a report, and, and honestly, Puppers is gone. And we hug them, so sort of good to see you at Disneyland, and, and we'll see you again, uh, probably not at Disneyland again, but we'll, we'll see you at Christmas time. And uh, I'll never forget, it was uh, three and a half months later, or my friend John calls, and he said, You're, I mean, you, you can't imagine the story. Puppers showed up in the mail today. Three and a half months, not, not exaggerating. So like 100 days later, Puppers shows up in the mail in a beautifully packaged box with a note from Pluto. Sorry, Puppers was having such a good time, he didn't want to come home. And she still has Puppers. That was 12 years ago. And so now when we think about Disneyland, that's the first story we all think of. When Ada considers puppers, that's what she remembers. And somehow, I don't know who that was, obviously, but some genius at Disneyland could have, number one, not sent it, but number two, just put it in the mail and shipped it off. We've probably all lost something and had it shipped, and you're just thankful to have it. But someone had the genius idea to say, what if now puppers is a part of the, the act? Puppers is in the story. Uh, we all want to be like puppers. We all want to be in the story. And it's not fake. You actually are. There is an invitation for you to recognize and receive that you are anointed. You are picked. God sees you, and, and, and trust me, he sees Abinadab stronger than you, smarter than you, wealthier than you, more polished than you. He sees Eliab and, and, and Eliab reads his Bible all the time, and Eliab is uh, well-spoken and, and is able to solve problems, and you get lost and flustered. He sees who you are. He sees who you're not, and yet says, you're in. 
And not only you're in because I need something from you, but you're in because you get to be a part of something. And so if you're curious what God is up to, look around. God does not see things the way you see them. It's right there. God doesn't see your neighbor the way you see him. God doesn't see your irritating sister-in-law the way you see her. God doesn't see the leadership of this church or whoever the way you see them. He sees them differently. He sees his mission, which is restoring everything. And restoration and redemption are big ideas and big concepts, but what does it look like? What does it look like in real life? It looks like crossing the streets. It looks like uh, inviting someone over. It looks like picking up a phone instead of a text and saying, hey, I've missed you. It looks like saying, I'm so sorry. I must have really upset you. It looks like uh, uh, doing things the way God would do if he were in charge. If he were in charge of your family, family dinners, how would he want those things to roll? If he were in charge of your commute in the morning, how would he want you to commute? If he were in charge of what you look at online and what you share, what would he want you to do? As soon as you start asking that question, you're going to recognize you're a part of it. So let's pray. God, uh, we want to be a part of your story. We want to participate. We want to be in the acts, in the play. We want to have a, a, a key role. And uh, I pray that you would help us to see things the way you see them today. I pray that you would help us to see our neighbors and our relatives and our friends and our coworkers the way you see them. Because you don't see the way we do. And even when we can't see the way you do, help us to lean into what we assume you would do if you were us. Even as we consider uh, uh, responding to your generosity to us in, in worship and considering uh, how to uh, uh, tithe and give and share our resources and our money. Lord, if, if you were in charge of our money and our finances and our future, how would you want us to handle them? I pray that with that lens, we would turn to the offering now and as we re return and, uh, uh, to worship, God, that you would bless us as we give and you would use what we give even when we're still holding on to do something, not only through those resources, but in us, to free us, to free us from anxiety or fear or control, free us from shame of thinking that we're not good enough, free us from a, a story that's not right, that we're not picked, we're not special, we don't have a role to play. Free us from that, God. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. We pray this in your name. Amen.
that stone was moved for good for the land that conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to fire May God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach you about how much he loves you. And may God the Spirit help you know that you are perfect and wonderfully made. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.